We are gonna be in, we're gonna start in Ezekiel 37 this morning in the Old Testament. Then we'll end in Revelation 21. So we've got quite the journey ahead of us. Um, while you get ready to uh, open the Bible, if you wanna go ahead and turn there, grab your sermon notes out of the seat back in front of you, you can do that. Um, just a quick announcement. So uh, for years now, I don't know if you noticed when you have pulled into our driveway, um, the big potholes right out here, maybe you've hit one of them. Um, we've been trying for years to patch those and to fill those and to fix those, and we have not yet succeeded. So what we've decided to do instead is just to build a new worship center um, <laughs> and, and a new entrance and driveway and parking on this side of the building to see if we can fix the potholes. So hopefully um, that will fix our problem. Uh, really just all that to say, hey, we are excited. You can tell now when you come onto the campus, you're seeing signs that things are happening. The orange fence out here, that is the tree protection barrier. That's being put up by our contractor. Uh, we'll have to be inspected by the city before they let us start uh, doing any construction or pushing dirt. But all that is unfolding. Uh, had a meeting this week with our contractor and over 20 subcontractors here at the church to go over all the ins and outs, the schedule, um, all the policies and procedures to get everybody ready to go so that we'll hit the ground running in 2020 uh, to get this worship sitter built so that we can do what? Create more space for more people. You're gonna get tired of hearing me saying this for more people to come be a part of this amazing work that God is doing in our lives. And so that's why we're doing it, um, to, to just create more space to reach more people in this community. We're excited about that. So I wanna give you that update. We'll keep you updated as often as, as we have new information. So on our fourth and final Sunday of the Advent series, we are truly gonna focus on um, this idea that um, the incarnation of Christ Emmanuel has come to be God with us and what that means for us, right? So it's just a small little verse in the nativity story. You should call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. What does that mean? Where does that come from? What is the significance of that verse? And so we're gonna start in the Old Testament in the book of Ezekiel chapter 37. And then we're gonna, we're gonna stop off at Matthew chapter one. We're gonna make our way all the way to the end of your Bible to Revelation 21. So Ezekiel 37 is one of the messianic prophecies, which is a fancy way of saying it was a promise God made um, that he was gonna send a rescuer to his people, a Messiah, um, a redeemer to come and to rescue God's people from their enemies and from their oppression, uh, which we know to be our greatest enemies are sin and death. And so um, all throughout the Old Testament, we get these messianic prophecies, these foretellings, these promises that God is making, right? That he's gonna send somebody. But in these prophecies, we get a description of what the Messiah will be like, what he will do, what he will look like, how you will recognize the Messiah. Well, chapter 37 of Ezekiel, not only is a messianic prophecy, uh, but it wraps up our Advent sermon series really, really well. So the title of this series is The Long-Awaited One. So for the people of Israel, they, they waited a long time for the Messiah. And now here we stand as Christ's followers. We know the Messiah. We trust the Messiah. We believe in the Messiah. But now we're waiting for what? His return. And so in Ezekiel chapter 37, starting in verse 24. My servant David shall be king over them. And they shall have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. 
They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. And David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them. And will set my and set, I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place shall be with them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. Now, the first verse, verse 24, is, is, a, is a summary, really, of everything we've talked about in this series so far. So week one in the series, Pastor Nick talked about the lineage of Christ, how he was a descendant of Abraham, a descendant of David, and how God miraculously protected and preserved that lineage, right? And so verse 24 is talking about David again. But what we have to understand is this is a symbolic reference to David. We don't want David to come back. I mean, it would be cool to meet him, and and he offered up some great things to the world, but in the end, right, he wasn't a fantastic leader. Like, he had his days, and then Bathsheba, and then everything kind of went downhill from there, right? So we we don't want David to come back, right? So we're looking for somebody other than David. When you see that word, that name, David, in Ezekiel 37, it is a messianic reference to a better David, a better king who will come and to lead his people. And so in this passage, we get this reference to David reminding us that Jesus will come in the lineage of David. Now, the next thing we read here is not only that, but my servant David shall be what? King over them. That this Messiah would come not as just an average everyday leader or a great teacher or a rabbi, but he would come to be what? To be king over Israel and king over God's people. Not only that, and they shall be, they shall have what? One shepherd. So week one, we talked about the lineage of Jesus as a descendant of David. Week two, we talked about Jesus as the good shepherd. What makes Jesus a good shepherd? Well, we have to know something about shepherds, right? Well, first of all, shepherds are really patient. Why? Because sheep require patience. So do you, right? You're the sheep, right? So, right, that's why he's a good shepherd to us because we need a patient God an enduring God, a graceful God. And so Jesus is the good shepherd who not only is patient with his sheep, but he cares for his people daily, right? Because unlike cattle, you can just kick cattle out into the pasture and check on them once a week. You have to tend to sheep on a daily basis. You have to care for them and protect them and make sure that they're, they're cared for. And so Jesus is our good shepherd. And then last week we looked at how the wise men came looking for Jesus and, and caught the attention of Herod the king. Right? And he sent the wise men essentially to go find Jesus so he could, he could kill him, put him to death. When the wise men found Jesus, right, they had a choice. Who are we going to be loyal to, King Herod or baby Jesus? And with their loyalty to King Jesus, right, they declared to the world, this is our king. We will bow down to none other but this one. And so here in verse 24, it summarizes all of that, doesn't it? The one who would come as a descendant of David, our king and our shepherd. Now, as we move forward in in this passage, we're not only being told that a Messiah is coming, we're told that he's going to be bringing something to us. In verse uh, 20, 
uh, 6, I believe, 26, it says this, I will make a covenant of peace with them. So this Messiah is coming to bring what? A new covenant. This new covenant of peace. And so then the passage will go on to describe this new covenant to us. Let's talk for a minute. So before Jesus comes, we already have a covenant. What's a covenant? It's this, this agreement between God and his people. Now, the problem is up until this point, we are lousy covenant keepers, right? So God says, do this, obey these laws, and you will live. You'll flourish. Disobey these laws, and you will what? You will die. And so we are lousy covenant keepers. And so until Jesus comes, nobody had held up to our end of the covenant keeping. So Jesus comes not to abolish the law and the covenants, but what? To fulfill them. So Jesus coming to earth is, he's fulfilling the covenants on our behalf. And what the prophet Ezekiel is saying is that he will come and usher in a new covenant. And it will be similar to the old covenant, but there will be some things that are distinctly different. First of all, it's referred to in this passage as an everlasting covenant. So it's not one that will be fulfilled and go away. It's one that will endure forever, right? And not only will the covenant endure forever, it will bring to us the recipients of the covenant enduring things, things that last forever, right? Which make us think about verses like John three sixteen. You know this one, right? For God so loved the world, what did he do? Gave his only begotten son. Why did he do that? That whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have what? Eternal life, right? Because we already have life physical life, temporary life, right? Everybody is nodding and kind of moving, except for maybe one or two of you. You look alive. But Jesus, so he didn't come to bring you physical life. He came to bring you what? Eternal life. John 10, 10. Thief comes to do what? Kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. Right? So this Messiah would come bringing this new covenant of everlasting life. Not only that, I love this part of, of this, new, this new covenant as it's described here, that God says, I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. It may be my favorite part about this whole prophecy. I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. Now, it's, you may not realize it, but that's kind of a flipping, a turning of the tables, if you will. Because before Christ comes, the presence of God, to encounter the presence of God, where did you go? To the temple, right? So, the presence of God was, was, was housed in the temple. It doesn't mean that all of God was in the temple boxed up, but it means that if you wanted to encounter the presence of God, you had to go to the temple, right, and make your way to the Holy of Holies. Now, check yourself first, though, right? Because if you're the wrong person at the wrong time with the wrong frame of mind, you're dead. Boom, done. Right, so we, even though we knew where to go to encounter the presence of God, you and I couldn't get there. Right? We had a priest to go before us and to go into the presence of God for us. And if his heart wasn't right, boy, you better tie a rope around his leg because he's going to get struck down dead. You're going to have to drag him out and find somebody else to go in. Right? And that was the temple. That was the sanctuary, the housing of God's presence. When Jesus comes and he makes these, 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 these bold claims, well, guess what? I'm going to tear down the temple. You're going to do what? I'm going to tear down the temple, but then I'm going to rebuild it in three days. And we know that what he was talking about was what? He was going to rebuild the temple in us. I'm going to tear down this stone box that, that you have, you've come to year after year after year to encounter my presence. I'm going to tear it down. I'm going to rebuild it. Where? In your heart. And so this idea in Ezekiel 37, listen to it again now with that in mind. I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. Now think about that. So this idea of 
Emmanuel, God with us, we tend to limit that to Jesus's birth through his ascension back to the Father, his time here on earth, right? So Jesus leaves his throne of glory, steps into humanity by becoming a human being, which was a significant downgrade, by the way. Seriously, like Hebrews says that he made himself lower than the angels by becoming a human being. That's not an upgrade by any means. It'd be an upgrade for an earthworm, but not for King Jesus, right? It was a downgrade. So he willfully chose to, to downgrade himself, right? Still fully God, but put himself in human form. And so he incarnated into our world and became God with us. He walked among us, right? He died on the cross for us. He victoriously resurrected from the grave and then ascended back to the right hand of the Father. And so we, we, we read that, we think about this incarnation as this historical event that was fabulous if you were there to see it. But where's the hope for us? Well, if you remember the conversation Jesus was having with his disciples and he told them, hey guys, I'm getting ready to go. Where are you going? I'm actually going back to my throne at the right hand of the Father, my rightful place. And they lamented that. They're like, no, you can't go. Right? You can't leave us like this whole incarnation. This is a pretty cool thing. We need you. And Jesus said, actually, it's to your good that I go. Amen. What do you mean? Right? I must go because in my going, the Holy Spirit's going to come. Right? And so this idea that God with us was just this, this 33-year time span of Christ here on earth, right? that's a small portion of God with us because he left his spirit with us as God made his sanctuary in our midst. You see the connection there? No longer are you gonna have to come to the temple. The temple's coming to you. God's spirit in you. And so in this messianic prophecy of Ezekiel 37, God says, I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. And then we read some things that sound familiar. He says what? I'm going to multiply them. This takes us back to Genesis chapter 1, right? I'm going to create, we are going to create man and woman in our image. In our image, we create them, male and female. And here's going to be your task, Adam and Eve. What is it? Be fruitful and, so you know it. Right? And so the idea, this is before the fall, was that Adam and Eve would, have, would, be, would be fruitful and multiply. If you need me to explain that, we'll do it after the service. But in their being fruitful and multiplying, they would have children. Their children would have children. And this kingdom would be built on earth of what? Image bearers for the king. Everywhere you would go, you would see an Adam and an Eve. And you would, in them, you would see a reflection of the king. But then Genesis 3 happens at the fall. And what happens is that image of God in us gets distorted gets tainted by our sin and rebellion. And so no longer are we passing on this pristine image of God. We pass on this marred, distorted image of God. That's your kids, by the way. And it's you. That's, 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 that's who we are, broken without Christ. We, we bear a distorted image of God. People look at us and they see a distorted image of who God is. A distorted image of justice. A distorted image of grace. A distorted image of love. And so what's beautiful is after the resurrection, Jesus calls his disciples to him and said, all right, guys, here's what you're gonna do now that I'm, I'm leaving. I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. Well, how are we gonna do that? You're gonna go make disciples of the nations. Amen. Right, that, that command, that human being purpose has not changed. Like you have still, you're still called 
right? To be fruitful and multiply and to build for God a kingdom here on earth of what? Image bearers. Starting where? Oh, in Jerusalem, and then Judea, then Samaria, then where? The ends of the earth. Well, when do we get started on that? When my Holy Spirit comes. He will empower you to do this. And so we are still called to be fruitful and to multiply. And then once again, God says, my dwelling place will be with them, which this is really cool. So again, when you think of God with us, it begins with incarnation, but it doesn't end there, right? The incarnation makes a way for the manifestation of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, God making his sanctuary in us as we await what? The return of our King. Like, yeah, that was how yeah, God was saying, amen. <laughs> and, and here's the thing, church, I want you to hear me on this. Please, please hear me on this. So oftentimes when we open the word, we learn, we extract truth from it, and then we ask the question, how do I apply this? How do I obey this? How do I live this out, right? Here's, here's my proposition to you. When we fully grasp the magnitude of God with us, you won't need anybody to give you life application. Right? Like the, the, the wise men, when they walk into the house and they see baby Jesus, nobody, nobody stands up and says, okay, guys, we're going to worship, right? Here's going to be our first song. And uh, when you hear the music, I'm going to want you to sing and maybe clap. And then you're going to bow down. And then the elders are going to come up and pray. Like, no, they just reacted to what they saw. Right? They just reacted and responded to the glory they beheld in baby Jesus as their king. And I'm telling you, Amen. like I was just talking with, uh, I don't think you'll mind, Indy Vanderton. When we were talking at the beginning of service, he's like, hey, what are you preaching on today? And we were talking about where we were going the sermon. And we were, he was talking about, well, so Jesus was the descendant of David. Yeah, well, how did that work? Well, he's, he's, his mom, Mary, is where he got his human DNA. And, and he gets his spiritual DNA from the Holy Spirit. And so he's fully God and fully man. I love your response. He's like, that's pretty cool. Like, that is cool. Like, that should, like, baffle us, right? Like, Colossians 1 describes Jesus this way in verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So it wasn't like God the Father with a spiritual knife cut off a little piece of the deity of Christ and put him in the baby. All the fullness of God dwelt in Christ. Like that, like that should baffle you. How did the fullness of God dwell in this human form? Then it should be equally baffling that his Holy Spirit lives in you that same fullness of Christ, right, is living in the sanctuary. Where's the sanctuary? You. Now, this is where we begin to see a drastic difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. The book of Hebrews chapter 10 talks about the old covenant and how it didn't work. Year after year, the priests would make their sacrifices, right? Going into the presence of God, offering up a sacrifice on behalf of the sins of the people. Why did it not work? Because it did not change their hearts. Didn't change their hearts. I don't know if you caught this in Ezekiel 37, where it's at the end of verse 24, God speaks to the prophet and says, they shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. That does not happen apart from the power of the Holy Spirit in us, changing our hearts. So this new covenant will bring with it this newness inside of me. It's not just the old me walking around with my friend Jesus. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in me, transforming me and making me new. 
And then this part at verse 28 where it says, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord. The nations do not currently know that he is the Lord. People on earth, some people know that. And there are people who know that who live in many different nations. But what this is describing is a day in the future where the nations will bow down and acknowledge Jesus as king. Right? This is Philippians chapter, uh, Philippians 2, verse 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him, that's Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. That hasn't happened yet. Some knees have bowed. The wise men bowed, others have bowed, but the nations have not yet bowed. Verse 11, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord. So the prophet Ezekiel in 37 says, hey, there's a day coming where the nations will know that he's the Lord. We aren't there yet, church. Philippians 2 says, there is a day that's gonna happen when every knee will bow, every tongue confess that he is what? Lord at his return. And so this God with us, these three words, right? It encapsulates so much. It's not just Christ being born as a baby in a manger. It begins there, right? But it's, it's still in us today. God is with us. Jesus said, hey, you guys go make disciples of the nations, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and behold, what? I am with you. For how long? Till the end of the ages. This is done. I'm not gonna not be with you anymore. I will be with you. I wanna go to the book of Revelation now, chapter 21. This is towards the end of your Bible, second to last chapter. I want you to see this connection. So I'm gonna, as you turn there, I'm gonna give you a recap. Ezekiel 37, way back in the Old Testament, God said, hey, here's what to look for in a Messiah. He's gonna bring a new covenant, this everlasting covenant. It's gonna change your heart. You're gonna wanna obey my statutes. And through this new covenant, I'm gonna set up my sanctuary, my dwelling with you forever. It's gonna be awesome. And then we get to Matthew. We move forward in time. We get to the gospel of Matthew chapter one, verse 23. You shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. And we see that as the opening of the chapter of this book where God makes his dwelling place with man forever. In Revelation 21, now I want you to see this connection. Verse one, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Now, we're setting a scene here. God is making all things new. What do we mean by all things? Well, pretty much everything. A new heaven and a new earth. What else is there? Like the universe is included in that, right? So everything is made new. So God is making all things new. Why? Look at verse three. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, whose voice is this? It's the voice of God. Maybe specifically the voice of King Jesus. Behold, 
The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Now, what follows are some great things. We'll get to that in a second, but what's the main point? The final, the finality of the universe, the finality of eternity is what? God makes all things new. New heaven, new earth, new heart, right? And the presence of the Holy Spirit living in us will give way to what? The permanent forever presence of God. Like literally, in his presence, no need for sun, no need for a switch on the wall. You flip it on and lights come on. Why? Because his glory will be there. Like Emmanuel, God with us. Verse four, oh, by the way, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have what? Passed away. Anybody in the room ready for that? I am. The only way we get there is what? For God to make his dwelling place with us. And this Christmas now, for you, I hope this Advent series has has helped set some, some anchors for you, okay? Because I know you have, more than likely, all kinds of traditions and family routines you go through and all kinds of fun things that you associate with Christmas, decorating and trees and, and figgy pudding, whatever that is, and, and eggnog. And, right? There's certain cultural things that we associate with Christmas, and you're going to go do them and, and have, have fun with that. Like, this is the only time of year you get to do those things, right? So, like, if you decorate your house the way it's decorated right now in July, your neighbors are going to think you're weird, Right, there's just all these things we do this time of year. However, let's not pile up and bury the actual reason for Christmas. Like this is the birth of our king. This is a celebration of God making his dwelling place, not temporarily, permanently, eternally with us. The incarnation made a way for what? The manifestation of the Holy Spirit living in us, which will make way for what? The return of our king. So as we talk about the Nativity, we think about how we're all each gonna celebrate and acknowledge Christmas this year. I hope that somewhere in the house that you're in, at least in the peripheral, there'll be a nativity. Whether it's a reel with action figures or it's just a Christmas card on the tree that has the nativity, but some reminder of the journey we've taken. And when you see the shepherds in the nativity, right, it'll remind you of what? The baby in a manger is your shepherd. He is your good shepherd. When you see the wise men there in the nativity, maybe one of them's on his knees with their gifts of myrrh and frankincense and gold, and, right? You'll be reminded of what? The baby in the manger, he's my king. And more than anything, when you, when you hear the name Jesus or you see the baby in the manger, you're reminded that God is establishing his presence with us forever. Like that's big, isn't it? Do we need application now? Like, no, just let your heart respond to that truth. The God of the universe has come to make his dwelling place with us. And that's what Christmas is about. So what I wanna do now is I'm gonna pray for us um, as a church. I know this is what I do at the end of every sermon, um, but not because it's part of the routine. 
Like when we open God's word and he speaks to us, he convicts us and he challenges us, then we need to respond to that. And so when I pray or whoever's up here is praying, what we're asking is like, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit dwelling in us, like do a work in us. Make me different, right? Make me different from how I walked in here. Where I was hopeless, give me hope. Where I was broken, mend me, right? Where I was confused, bring clarity. Where I was struggling with doubt, bring faith. Like God, make me different. And so I'm gonna pray now that God will take his word and work in us powerfully today. And I wanna say this, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, and no way do I wanna single anybody out, but a good chance you know who you are, um, listen, I, I would encourage you, I would invite you, maybe even challenge you to consider taking a step of faith today. Right, this, this news of what God has done for us, it is, it is too good to be understood, but it's not too good to be true. And as you think about what Christmas means, I, I would just encourage you to consider taking that step of faith toward King Jesus. Let him be your good shepherd. Let him be your king. Like the wise men, bow your heart before him and adore him and worship him. And so I'm gonna pray that God's Holy Spirit would work in us now as we respond. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this powerful reminder from your word, these three simple words, yet so powerful. God with us. And Father, we confess that so often we reduce that phrase to just 33 years here on earth and we neglect the truth and reality that you're still with us. God, your Holy Spirit dwells in us and has made your sanctuary among us. God, I pray for the Christians in the room that you would prepare our hearts to truly celebrate Christmas this year. Father, I do pray, God, that anybody here who does not know that hope and joy that we have in you, that they would just courageously take that step of faith to trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, to pray in their own words, in their own heart, this confession that Jesus, I, I, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you are the King of Kings. I bow my life before you. Come, do your work in me. Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would now move through this room and move through our hearts, God. Stir us to respond, we pray in Jesus' powerful name.